In the name of God, Creator, Redeemer, and Giver of life. Amen. Today is the Saints' Day of two significant apostles. They were brothers, St. James and St. John. They were known as the sons of Zebedee. Their mother's name was Salome. They were fishermen, probably in a business partnership with Andrew and Peter. The Gospel stories indicate this foursome were the first disciples our Lord called. Says they left their nets and followed him. Probably wasn't quite that quick. It was probably some negotiation and discussion, but the end result was the same. Peter and these two were the closest and most trusted disciples of Jesus. We know this because there are three parts in the Gospel, or three stories in the Gospel, that indicate uh, a special relationship. So the first is when a leader of the synagogue, of a particular synagogue, we don't know which town, uh, but his name was Jairus, had a daughter who people thought was dead. And Jesus went to heal her. It was obviously early in his ministry. Uh, so he either healed her or raised her from the dead, as the story goes. And it said, he allowed none to follow him except Peter, James, and John. And then there was the transfiguration. This was when Jesus appeared in a sort of visionary state uh, to a small group, dazzling white, it says, with Moses and Elijah on both sides. And the word came, this is my son, the beloved. And it says, before they went up the mountain, he took with him Peter, James, and John. And then in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was at his most vulnerable, when he knew what was going to happen to him, and they hadn't quite arrested him, and he was sweating, he said to the disciples, sit there while I pray. And he took with him Peter, James, and John, and began to be distressed and agitated. It was those three that he felt he could express his deepest worries and concerns, and he expressed them physically. So the saints we celebrate today are not average disciples. Not that being an average disciple is not a bad thing to be, but they were the closest to our Lord. But today's reading we get an early sense of their learning curve, or the learning curve of the disciples. So, Jean read this morning from the Gospel of Matthew, which is the Gospel set for today, but I just want to begin the same story in the way that Mark said it. And Mark was the Gospel that we assume Matthew had in front of him and was copying from, uh, for, for some of the stories, and this one in particular. So in Mark's Gospel it says, James and John say, Teacher, we want you to do for us what we ask of you. What do you want me to do for you? He said. Grant us to sit one on your right hand and one on your left hand in your glory. Now Matthew, it's the mother of the sons of Zebedee who knelt before him and asked a favour of him. What do you want? He said. Declare these two sons of mine will sit one in your right hand and one in your right hand. 
Now you could say she was being presumptuous, but I think she may have been like many loving mothers who just simply advocate for their kids. Then again, it could be the author of Matthew's Gospel who wanted to soften the sort of presumption it seemed that James and John Mark often wrote in quite a bald style and wanted to, you know, 30 or 40 years later, want to soften it a bit. And so he had the mother ask that question rather than them. Who knows? You do not know what you are asking, says Jesus. Are you able to drink the cup I drink? They said to him, yes, we are able. He said to them, you will indeed drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left, this is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared by my Father. So he didn't actually answer them. He kicked the touch. <laughs> he realised that they were on a different planet. The cup he was talking about was his blood all the way to the cross. Peter was similarly naive at this early stage. They simply didn't understand. Jesus had his hands full at this point because the other ten disciples started getting grumpy with the two brothers. They were making, these two brothers as far as they were concerned, were making early bookings for privileged places in some imagined majestic messianic kingdom. Not fair, they cried, just like my mockle or grandchildren. Chaos was ensuing. Privilege was being requested. Jealousy was swelling. Anger was mounting. And from Jesus' perspective, it was all occurring in a silly state of ignorance of the disciples' own making. He said, are you able to drink the cup I drink? Not, are you able to join me in some majestic messianic kingdom on earth or in heaven? So he grasps the nettle and diverts the situation with a picture that unifies them culturally. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Well, they all agree with that. They were Jews. And their great ones are tyrants over them, referring, of course, to the Romans. Yes, of course, they knew how bad that could be in the ancient world. You could just be picked up, thrown in prison, tortured, no trial. You could have your land taken off you, anything could happen. So then he goes on to make some of the most important statements on discipleship in the Gospels. And he was emphatic. It will not be so among you, but, stop, breathe in, wait for it. Whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave. Wow! That dealt to the dreams of privilege rather effectively. Being great means becoming a servant. Or even worse, the first among you must be your slave. Is this what we signed up to? They might have thought. In a hierarchical society where each level, apart from the peasant majority, had their own set of entitlements, this is what they either expected or wanted. This is not what they either expected or wanted to hear. They were probably aghast. 
Jesus had cleverly distracted them from their fantasies and bickering. And now he had their full attention. He then further clarified his message. As the lawyers often say, for the avoidance of doubt. He added his own example to his message of service. For the avoidance of doubt. Just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. This pilgrimage that we are all engaged in in this church is not about privilege. It's about service. It is not about entitlement. It is about dealing to our own egos and making life better for others. Now let's remember James and John were two of the three chosen confidants of our Lord. They were with Peter, the most trusted in the ten. James went on to become the first apostle to be martyred in the early life of the church. Stephen was the first martyr, but James was the first apostle to be martyred. John was a leader with Peter of the mother church in Jerusalem after Pentecost. He ministered with people. He healed people with Peter. And he ministered with Peter and was in prison with these two saints are stars in the Gospel story and beyond in the book of Acts. And yet they had to learn to serve. And this is one of the great stories of their preparation for their later role in the life of the early church. And I have to say, it is also a lesson for us as well. We all prefer comfort, although we don't tend to call it privilege. We all appreciate treats and bonuses and the little entitlements we think we deserve. Remember in John's Gospel there is no mention of the Eucharist at the Last Supper. In that Gospel at the Last Supper the image is different. Jesus got up from the table, took off his outer robe and tied a towel around himself. He then proceeded to wash the disciples' feet. And when he had finished, he said, Do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. So if I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. These are some of his very last words, and they reiterate that which he tried to teach the disciples as a result of the claims made either by James and John or on their behalf. By their mother. He went on that evening to explain it even more fully, as it is put in John's Gospel. I give you a new command, that you love one another. Then again he used the example he had shown throughout his ministry. Just as I have loved you, you should love one another. Now love and service are very closely linked. Both are about being attentive to the needs of others. Both are about constraining our natural desire to put ourselves and our world and our own worldview first. Both are about never criticising a person until we've worked, walked a mile in their moccasins, as the great American Indian quote states. Getting up and going the extra mile or kilometre to help someone when it's not even expected of us. 
It's about understanding the difficulties others experience in their lives, even when we are frustrated by them. It's about being generous, sharing what we have, and not expecting stuff in return. Now these can be personal traits. They can be personal traits we exercise within our family, within our communities, and in the workplace. We don't seek stuff for ourselves, but learn the joy of enabling happiness for others. But these traits can operate just as importantly on the larger stage, like being attentive to the needs in society, and working to prevent bad things happening there, like people working on movements to reduce the impact of the human contribution to climate change. This is serving the needs of others. So too is constructively addressing the current housing crisis in Aotearoa, or pushing for a greater acceptance of rainbow rights and ways of living, promoting technology that increases production and reduces workhouse could be another, and there are many others, of course. We're not called, in some extreme way, to be another Mother Teresa or Mahatma Gandhi. We are called to serve within the sphere we live and with the capabilities we have, and it will be different for all of us. We're not called to never have pleasure and live some sort of stiff moral life. We're called to live whole lives and at the same time to be attentive to the needs of others as we do so. St. James and St. John are wonderful saints who, like us, were so often consumed with their own needs and wishes, but learned some tough lessons by constraining their self-interest and responding generously to others. We are not called to be historical saints like them. We're simply called to learn the same lessons they did and live them out in the world we walk in. It is easy to say, but a challenge for us all.